0: Touchdown drives of at least 75 yards over the past two weeks. That is two more than any other team in the NFL entering week 15. That is why they made that change that you just described there with the defensive coaching position. The Eagles had allowed six such touchdown drives in their pre- previous seven games combined, but the schedule got a lot, lot harder. And yes, when the schedule got a lot, lot harder, they did get exposed, particularly defensively. I don't know where that leaves them. For a postseason. But I still think right here down the stretch, it leaves them in a pretty good position because they did what they needed to do earlier in the season. Clearly, they're in a position now to win that division. If they can take care of business tonight, it goes a long way towards that. Then they've got to take care of business against far lesser teams than the Giants and the Cardinals.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious to see like what group comes out tonight because the one that was there the last two weeks, that looked like a dejected group. That did not look like the team that went to the Super Bowl. And yes, there have been changes, but in terms of the key pieces of this group, on offense, Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, AJ Brown, um, you know, and then on the defensive side, you still you have Jalen Carter, who's been having tr- a tremendous season. I don't know if he'll win Rookie of the Year, but he should certainly be in the uh, candidacy for it. But you still have Fletcher Cox. You still have a lot of pieces up front. That I'd like to see that group come alive. Like Remind us that this was the group that went to the Super Bowl last year, despite what's happened this year. And then I'll feel more confident about this team going down the stretch. But who knows? At this point, we saw a lot of weird things happen in Week 15. We saw... You know, the Falcons end up losing to the Panthers. I mean, weirder things have happened than potentially the Seahawks beating the Eagles and Philly losing three straight. I can't tell you the last time that that happened with this group. But they've got to get it back on track tonight because, you know, there's really no, mo- no more time to waste as the NFC race in the playoffs start to, starts to come together.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're in a postseason either way. I'm guessing the 49ers are getting that one seed either way. I think we all think that the 49ers are the best team, frankly, in that conference. But the Eagles are right there in a position to make some noise here down the stretch and to try to get things together to really make some noise when it counts most in the postseason, just like they did this past postseason. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs. For protection on the road and on the water, see how much you can save. 1 800 progressive and at progressive.com. So, Eagles, Seahawks, again, they tip off or kick off in just about an hour from now when live action starts. We will certainly keep you updated all night long here on Amber and Ian. Courtney Cronin filling in for Ian Fitzsimmons tonight. Coming up next, should there be any real concern in Philadelphia tonight? We will get some help with the conversation. Amber and Ian's on ESPN Radio.
2: Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him.
1: First there was one fire, then there was another,
2: then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming FX's Shogun war!
3: My master asks what do you seek here?
2: To vanquish our common enemies. Ah! Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. Hit! Hit! War! The epic saga of war passion and power
0: come.
2: FX's Shogun. Now streaming on Hulu.
0: Philadelphia Eagles will try to take care of business tonight in Seattle. Kick off on Monday Night Football just about an hour from now. Jalen Hurts is sick. But he is, in fact, playing tonight. Let's find out the status of Jalen and beyond. For that, we turn to Tim McManus, ESPN Eagles reporter. And, Tim, thanks so much for your time. Jalen Hurts, he flew on a separate plane. He's not trying to get anybody sick, at least before he has to, you know, sweat and breathe on everybody tonight. What is the status of Jalen?
3: Yeah, so uh, it's hard to avoid that, Courtney, once he gets into the huddle. But they have been taking their proper precautions Jalen Hurts didn't practice on Friday. That's when the news really started rolling around that sickness. And the word is, is that it got worse uh, on, on Saturday. There was some question as to whether he was going to be able to make it for this game. But he did get on that private plane, was able to come out to Seattle, and now he is active for tonight. It's going to be interesting to see what version of Hurts we get. Uh, clearly, he is not at 100% dealing with flu-like symptoms that seem to be severe at times. Uh, but he's going to give it a go and, uh, and let's see what it looks like when they kick the ball off.
1: Tim, what did he look like in pregame warmups? We saw him walk in uh, with Dom DeSandro, the Philadelphia Eagles head of security, who is no longer going to be on the sidelines for any games, but that's a different story. He looked okay, at least from the TV cameras, but when you were watching him up close in, in, in warm-ups, how did he seem?
3: Yeah, you know what's interesting, Courtney, is that I was down on the field just, uh, moments ago during the, the initial warm-ups and didn't see Hurts on the field. So my guess is he's probably you know, making sure he's getting any kind of uh, medications that he needs, wants to make sure that he's at 100% and will be out when they get to these kind of final pregame warm-ups starting up here in about a half an hour. And so that's, that's where we're at right now.
0: Tim McMahon is joining us here on Amber and Ian Courtney Cronin filling in for Ian tonight. So, Tim, the Eagles made a change here with defensive play calling. Apparently, Sean Desai, he is still, as I understand it, the D coordinator. But it's going to be Matt Patricia calling the plays tonight. How is that working?
3: Yeah, so in title, uh, Sean Desai is the defensive coordinator, but at least on game days, you know, in action, it's going to be Matt Patricia. This is a pretty significant shakeup for a defense that has really struggled of late. You know, they had the blowout losses to the Niners and the Cowboys. They've given up 30 plus points over the last three games. They have the worst third down defense in the NFL, and they're 30th in red zone. I mean, there's a lot of really kind of strikingly bad numbers on a defense for a team that has championship aspirations. And so the Eagles made a move. Uh, they decided to put the you know the veteran in Matt Patricia into a more prominent role. And so he moves from the coach's booth down to the sidelines as he's doing the play calls. And Sean Desai, conversely, is going from the sideline up to the coach's booth. So this is a a pretty significant shakeup, and uh, I'm as curious as anyone to see if it has any effects, particularly in the secondary, which has has struggled the most.
1: You mention all those stats right there to, that point out how poorly the Eagles' defense has been playing as of late, but. You know, to make a move like this, this doesn't happen even for teams that have been on the trajectory that the Eagles are on, a team that went to the Super Bowl last year. What did Nick Sariani say was maybe a reason behind, like what was the catalyst outside of how poorly they've played for making a move like this, considering this is pretty rare?
3: Yeah, yeah, actually at the beginning of the week, I started off the press conference by asking Sariani was he planning any any coaching adjustments heading into this week and he said no. And we like the guys that we have in the building. We're ten and three, and we're going to ride with it. And next, you know, you know, it goes the exact opposite direction, and they ended up uh, making this move. Uh, there's, there's clearly it just wasn't um, connecting correctly on the defensive side of the ball, and there's a, a sense of urgency. If you kind of look around this roster, there's some, um, a lot of the members of the old guard. Let's look at, you know, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. Like, how big is is the window? for those guys you're in a, a position where you have an opportunity at 10 and three tied for the best record in football now have the lead for the division with the Cowboys losing yesterday opportunities don't always come around uh, like this and so I just they they've kind of had a large enough sample size to recognize that it wasn't happening the way that it was currently constructed and so that's why they ended up making this move I mean but to your point Courtney like it does There is like a a sense of desperation to it. You don't often see a first-place team make a drastic move in season like this, but the Eagles decided to do it.
0: Tim McManus joining us well and they did it Tim coming off of this very difficult stretch here of the season which I think you could have pointed at and said well if they're going to drop games this is going to be the time that they are in fact going to drop the games things get much easier starting tonight and then especially from here on out from this Eagles team so what is the morale like in the locker room obviously the front office has its concerns and the coach has his concerns but what about the players
3: so I feel like morale is shaky. Uh, the way that I would describe the locker room right now is teetering. When I, I spoke to one team source who said in, in their opinion that there was too much finger pointing going on amongst players and otherwise in that locker room, following the two losses to Dallas and San Francisco, which say that I really feel like this is a key game for the Eagles. If they can go on the road, West coast and Seattle, a tough environment and pull out a win with you know, some ailing pieces on defense and ailing Jalen Hurts, that can really help stabilize things. And they can look at the rest of the schedule. It's the easiest closing schedule in the NFL and say, you know what? We have destiny in our own hands. Let's, let's put any of this uh, quibbling aside and let's, let's focus on the prize. And the flip side of that is if they lose tonight or if they get blown out tonight, uh, then those rumblings in the locker room grow louder and things have a, part to have a chance to fall apart at the seams. And so that's, the, that's my take of, of what the locker room is at right now. It's in a, it's in a fragile situation, and a win tonight uh, would help things a lot.
1: Yeah, it certainly would. And the Seahawks team, not to be taken lightly, but we know they do get Geno Smith Back. He has the groin injury. He did not play the last time the Seahawks played, but he did put up a big effort against the Dallas Cowboys. So when you handicap this matchup, what is the one area you're looking at with this Eagles team? I know that we've been just, you know, pulling them apart from from the seams of how much they've struggled the last two weeks, but they're still in play potentially for the one seed. They're still a good team. Where do they have the advantage tonight?
3: You know, it's on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, if you're looking at it objectively, it's like, is the offense going to get right or is the defense going to get right? The offense has a much better chance of snapping back into form. They have an MVP candidate, as he was a couple of weeks ago, and Jalen Hurts, they have one of the best wide receiver duos in the NFL, one of the best offensive lines in the game as well. And and so that is that is an area where they can absolutely start getting healthy. And I think that's particularly true against the Seahawks team. That's number one going to be without uh, Devin Witherspoon in this game. And so that bodes well for the wide receivers for, for the Eagles. And also the Seahawks have been giving up a good amount on the ground. And the Eagles have gone away from that strength over the last handful of games. I think a recommitment to the ground game and DeAndre Swift would go a long way, especially, you know, it's, it's, it's raining out here right now. Uh, you know, rely on, on pounding the rock a little bit. And I think that the Eagles can control this game offensively.
0: Tim, we had the report last week that Roger Goodell may want to outlaw the Tush Push, although he, of course, came out and said that he hasn't actually made a decision on that. I haven't gotten to ask anybody who covers the Eagles specifically, what has their reaction been to any of that? Are they listening to the noise of what might happen in the future of the Tush Push?
3: They know that the fate of the Tush Push is is up in the air. Uh, The way that Nick Sirianni has talked about it, he's made the point that, listen, this isn't like a, something that, it, that every team can do. Like, w- we're the ones that specialize in it. It's not like this automatic play. Um, and so it's not, it's not like this unfair play that every team in the NFL is taking advantage of. And it looks like they're looking at the health and safety of it right now throughout the NFL to see if that's a problem. I don't know that there's been a ton of injuries league-wide. I know that the Giants had a couple, a handful of weeks back. But other than that, I don't know that you can make a strong case that that play is more dangerous than other plays in the NFL. And so, you know, their viewpoint is, you know, we're going to run it as long as it's, as it's legal. And it's been really good for them. They're the number one fourth team, number one team in conversion rate on fourth down at over 70% and uh, that's in large part because they have that brotherly shove or tush-bush or whatever we want to call it at their disposal. And they're also the best team on third and fourth down combined, and that's in large part because they, they know how to get those third and fourth in shorts. And so it's been a really good thing for them, and, and they're hopeful that they're able to do it beyond 2023.
0: Very helpful when your quarterback can squat 600 pounds or whatever it is that Jalen can no do. Doubt. Tim McManus, ESPN <laughs> Eagles reporter. Thanks, Tim.
3: All right, Courtney. It was good talking to you.
0: Amber and Courtney Cronin, Jordan. Here. Here.
1: Every, there are two well, people
0: everyone, here. and everyone does that when it's you and I together for some reason. It's I don't know if we sound
1: alike. I don't I feel like really like we don't sound that much alike
0: either. I feel like you've got like a, that that whatever mid- the dialect.
1: obnoxious Midwestern the dialect. Mid- I yeah. wasn't
0: calling it obnoxious, but, but it like, is you know Midwestern. It is. is. It's, it's harsh. harsh.
1: It's real hard. Yeah. It's harsh. <laughs>
0: Harsh soundists. That's all I was saying. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, we talked to an expert on everything that happened in the NFL this weekend. Monday night football kicking off just about 45 minutes from now. Eagles Seahawks tonight headed your way on ESPN. We will keep you updated here on Amber and Ian. Once the live action gets started, Courtney Cronin, filling in tonight for Ian Fitzsimmons. Amber and Ian's presented to you by Progressive Insurance. There's a lot to unpack around the NFL, though, from another crazy weekend in the NFL. We had three games on Saturday, Courtney, so now there's so much to keep up with. Now that we're getting to NFL action all weekend long, let's bring in some help with all things NFL ESPN NFL analyst Herm Edwards joining us here on Amber and Ian and coach. Thanks so much as always. Let's start with the Cowboys. They got absolutely destroyed by the Buffalo bills let's talk about the bills portion of this conversation first what do you make of the bills it's a weird season what do you make of where they're at
2: well i I think they're a team on the rise right now and uh they're going to threaten miami as far as competing for this division title Uh, i think they're 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 in a place they feel good about themselves and then after you beat a team uh, like the cowboys at home the way you did it um That says a lot about their mindset. Uh, I thought they had a fabulous game plan of of how you were going to play the Cowboys. And, you know, it's one of those games where people look at it, and what was interesting to me was the fact that they didn't let the Cowboys play to their strength. And the Cowboys' strength is very simple. Um, They want to score early and often in games to get a lead, to allow their athletic defense to rush the quarterback and their secondary to take the ball away. That never took place they didn't let they didn't let they didn't allow the Dallas Cowboys to play seven on seven they made the cowboys play nine on seven and they ran the ball on them and they couldn't stop it when you're making five yards to carry on first down that's not that's not that's not a good deal at all and and that's what the game became
1: This is the Cowboys' offense that was averaging 41 points at home, and so it finally goes away, goes into a hostile environment there in Buffalo, and it musters 10. What did we learn about the Cowboys from this game offensively that might be concerning for them as they go down the stretch and then into the postseason?
2: Well, I think what you learned offensively, when they don't possess the ball and uh, they have to sit on the sideline for long periods of time, if you look at the, the, the time of possession and all those things, they would never got into rhythm. They just couldn't get into the rhythm of it. And this was an inspired Buffalo team that knows that they they have no more room for error. They, they have to win. This was, this was a big game for the Buffalo Bills for a lot of different reasons. But for one, because they're playing an NFC team that walked into the ballpark with, uh, with 10 wins and they were a good football team. And Dallas struggles on the road. They're now three and four. We know that. But the way Dallas got beat was a formula going forward for other teams to try to repeat.
0: Coach Herm Edwards joining us here on Amber and Ian, Courtney Cronin filling in tonight for Ian Fitzsimmons. Uh, Dallas, you mentioned there, Courtney did, the home winning streak though for Dallas, a a team that is so much better at home than they are on the road. Mm -hmm. Is that concerning for teams as we enter a postseason? Obviously, the Cowboys are in a postseason. They are still trying to lock up you know, a one seed in the NFC that I don't think they're going to be able to get to.
2: No, they're they're going to have to go on the road, and, and that and that has kind of been their, you know their, their demise. Uh, when you think about the ten playoff games they've had on the road over the years, they've won one, and that was last year against Tampa, I believe it was. So they struggle on the road in playoff competition, and they're going to end up on the road. I mean, I don't think they're going to catch the Eagles uh, to win the division, so they're going to have to go on the road and play somebody.
1: All right, so the NFC South has been all over the place. We had Baker Uh Mayfield having a career game up in Green Bay yesterday. But I want to start with the team down in Atlanta. What the heck was that from the Atlanta Falcons and that loss to the Panthers? And we heard from Arthur Smith today that there might be another quarterback switch this week. How how should they handle this knowing that this position has been their Achilles heel all season long and the fact that they're still trying to, to lock up the NFC South and we're in possession of it until yesterday.
2: Yeah, it's a head scratcher, but you know what, when you look at this league every week, we have another head scratcher, right? And, and I think it's a competitive league. Uh, I think people are realizing how hard and, you know, how hard it is to win a football game. Um, When you look at it, there's a, there's gives a few teams that have double-digit wins, what, one, two, three, four, five, and that's it. Six. Six teams have double-digit wins. Everybody else is less than that. And so you look at that division, the South, and right now you talk about the Atlanta Falcons, I get it, but if you close your eyes and didn't know who the teams were and you just watch them, you say, that team that, 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 team that has that funny guy on the side of their helmet, them Buccaneers, they're pretty good, right? That's Baker Mayfield. <laughs> so... I, the South, look, last year, they 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 won the division with a losing record. And so uh, that is a hard loss for the Atlanta. And when you don't know who your quarterback is, then you got a problem. That becomes a big problem when you start changing quarterbacks with, what, three games left? Mm-hmm.
0: That was a rough loss for Atlanta. There was several rough losses uh, yesterday. Oh. The Jags lost big to the Ravens. The oh. Jags. Herm, they're a weird team. I mean, they're still in the hunt, of course, for the postseason, but they are a weird team. I feel like they aren't meeting expectations, but nobody's really talking about it because it's Jacksonville.
2: You know what? You have you have a keen sense of of, of what's going on. You're right. They're all, they, you know who they remind you of? They remind you of, they changed their name, but they're still the same, the Los Angeles Chargers.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The Los Angeles Chargers always get a bye. Because it used to be in San Diego. Not a lot of media attention there. They go to L.A. They already got a team in the Rams. So they don't get talked about. Jacksonville, you know, Jacksonville's team was an expansion team. They'll talk about Tampa. They'll talk about some college Florida teams. But Jacksonville kind of sits there. They're an 8-5 team. A lot of talent. But quarterback. Got a gifted quarterback. But you never know what you're going to get out of this guy. It's like, really? I mean, you play like that. You focal the ball, nobody hits you. You go down and within two minutes in the, in the two-minute drill, and you throw one out to the slot guy to get tackled, you don't get the playoff. I mean, it's just silly stuff. And, and then, but here again, they're 8-5. and five. They're, They have a chance to win the division. But it's like, what are, what are we watching? I, I know exactly what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I felt that way when we were watching the game last night from both teams. What are we watching up until halftime when the Ravens have a 10-point lead? And then they close them out in that, third, in that fourth quarter. 13 points, Jaguars couldn't do much in the second half. Do you think that Baltimore right now is the class of the AFC? You, you mentioned they're one of those six teams that does have the double-digit wins, or do you still think that the Chiefs are going to be able to, to get there and that they still are the standard here?
2: Well, you, you always say that because you count on Patrick Mahomes, right, because he's has such a uniqueness of, of, of carrying his team. But they're a team right now, they're not very confident offensively. And he's not very confident in who he throws the ball to. We, we, we've seen that issue. But they have some issues. Just They do. They're, they're not the same team they were last year. Look, there's a reason you're 9-5. and five. No one gave you that record. You actually earned it. You earn that record by how you play. And when you look at them play, you go, okay, and you're waiting for Patrick Mahomes to go, okay, come on, wave the wand. Let's go. Well, they're going. They're 9-5. and five. Uh, And Until last week, the Denver loss, Denver was one game behind them. And you were wondering, well, how did the Denver Broncos get this close to them? So, they're still the team that will win the division. But going into the playoffs, I, you can't say the Chiefs are the favorite to win it. You would say maybe Baltimore right now, the way they're playing, you know, and Lamar's playing well. They got a good defense. We know that. And I say that. And then last week they went a game against uh, the, the Rams and Matthew Stafford and then went in there and torched them. I mean, he threw the ball anywhere he wanted to throw it in bad conditions. So I scratched my head on that one. So who knows? I mean, it's, it's exciting because you don't know who the best, who is the best team over there. Are the Dolphins the best team? Are the Buffalo
0: Bills maybe the best team now? I don't know. It's week to week. Nobody can decide. I mean, nobody <laughs> apparently can decide. I mean, even for my Miami Dolphins, it's like they lose to the Titans and then they do what they did against the yes. Jets. And now the Jets, they're eliminated because of that loss and some help from their friends. They're eliminated from the postseason. And yet, Herm, there's still this report that Aaron Rodgers wants to play and that he may still oh. be cleared to play. They have until Wednesday, the Jets do, to decide from that 21-day practice window to decide, whether they're going to activate him or leave him on the IR for the rest of the season. Is it just insane that Aaron Rodgers is still considering playing when his team is eliminated?
2: (laughs) Well, you got to think of it this way. Um, The one thing I do know, and I can say this from experience, football players play football. That's what they do. And I know that some people say, well, he's crazy, but guess what? You got to have a, You know, like my wife always tells me when I start doing certain things and she says the screw's shaking again, I go, yeah, I know it's shaking. And you got to miss the screw, there's no doubt. Um, But that's what makes the game so great to you when you're a player. And I just think that, you know, he misses it. He wants to play. And it'll be interesting to see if the medical team allows him to do that. Um, But if they do, I'm not going to say he wouldn't. And the people say he shouldn't go. And, well, you play football. That's what you do for a living. That that's that's your line of work. You don't you don't stand on the sideline. You actually play football, and so that's the that's how I look at it. Now, as a coach, I'd be I'd be going, "Oh man, what are we doing here?" Right? But you get it when, when you've played, when you've actually played at that level, you go, "I get what he's saying." He wants to go play football. Your football, because once it's over and you retire, it's done. And let me tell you something: for a guy that retired there's nothing that can replace it. Nothing.
0: I don't know. I think I'd rather be retired than playing behind that line (laughs) with a torn Achilles, (laughs) but we'll see.
1: We'll see. ESPN
0: NFL analyst, Coach Herm Edwards. Thanks, Herm. Thank you both. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian with Courtney Cronin filling in for Ian Fitzsimmons. Tonight, we transition to college ball. Should college football... Be just one big conference, one high-profile coach thinks so. Amber and Ian's on ESPN Radio. You ready for Monday Night Football here on Amber and Ian? We've been covering a lot of things NFL. There are so many storylines out of the NFL coming off of another crazy NFL weekend. Courtney Cronin's filling in for Ian Fitzsimmons tonight. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. But let's transition for a moment to college ball, Courtney, because Chip Kelly... The UCLA head coach said something very, very interesting about the future of college football and the direction that it needs to go. He's got plans. Take a listen.
1: What is the, the biggest issue that you might have right now, whether it be realignment, NIL, transfer portal, and what would your, your plan maybe be to, to try to solve it?
2: I think they're all a problem, and I think we need to have a conference commissioner. And I think football should be separate from the other sports. Just the fact that our school is leaving to go to the Big Ten in football our our softball team should be playing Arizona in softball. Our basketball team should be playing Arizona in basketball. But because football left and they say, well, how do you do that? Well, Notre Dame's independent in football and they're in a conference and everything else. I think we should all be independent in football and you can have a 64 team conference that's in the power five and you can have a 64 team conference in the group of five and we separate and we play each other.
0: And then he goes on, if you listen to that bite even longer he goes on to even explain how the scheduling would work you'd you know play the seven within your division and then you'd play a few more outside of your division every year and you could go regionally down and you could play some of the rival games still uh, outside the or five so he had a whole plan in place courtney and how to solve college football but i think from a macro perspective here one thing that we can all agree on is that there are things that we need to solve in college football and i feel like that's where the conversation starts
1: yeah i mean it's Flawed. It's flawed. and we know it. And we know that because last summer, or rather two summers ago, 2022, when the Big Ten decided to go poach US, UCLA and or USC and Oregon initially um, to watch that happen and then watch what the other teams leave the conference or at least say that they're going to leave the Pac-12 to go to other conferences and then the conference realignment that happened this summer. That's what's driving this, and I really like that Chip Kelly spoke out. He's not the only coach to throw this idea out there, and it's not like some grandiose thing we've never heard of. Football should be separate to allow for the travel and the finances that come with these massive TV deals to help these programs in the new ju- in the new juncture that they're in now in, with the conference realignment, and it shouldn't affect the non-revenue sports like softball, like, you know, all the other non – like, literally any other sport other than football, like the point that he makes. And I just I, – I don't know why this isn't being talked about more than just fodder on either a podcast or whatever he was on because it makes sense. The realignment part and being able to have one commissioner for football letting the NCAA handle everything else – That's basically what we're already doing, is it not?
0: Well, there's a lot of complications, I think, when it comes to the idea of football just breaking away as an independent sport, and there's a lot of complications – that extends beyond just, you know, the landscape that we're looking at right now. When it comes to the television rights, it makes sense, right? You're thinking, okay, well, this is the sport that brings in the revenue. So let's go ahead now and separate this sport. The problem with that, if you do that, then what happens to these other sports that do within those athletic departments rely on the revenue that is generated by football. So I could see that being a problem. I could see it having huge Title IX implications that are very disturbing because how how are you paying for these other sports that don't generate the same kind of revenue? How does that affect the female sports? There's already a lawsuit right now in Oregon. A lot of Oregon players, uh, female players are suing Oregon for title IX violation, something like 32 of them from volleyball and some of these other sports up there alleging Oregon is violating title nine. There's a lot of schools. I know that FSU just added, a uh, women's lacrosse, I think, is a varsity sure, sport because they sure. were about to get sued for Title IX violations. So that, of course, is a, is a difficult landscape, and separating football makes all of that even more difficult.
1: It does, and I know that he kind of had this idea that if you know, we got, instead of having like a group of five or power five, you call it like the Amazon division, the Nike division, like you're you're trying to sell this off to big brands, TV deals all of that that would pay for this product to stand alone, but then there's got to be a revenue sharing. He talked about this is a way to do away with NIL and that players would end up getting a revenue share from the billions of dollars that would inevitably be invested in these Power 5 schools, uh, Power 5 football schools that would break off and do their own thing. I would take this a step further and say that if this were to somehow work, then that revenue share would have to go back to the other athletic to the athletic departments from where these schools come from that football can 't just keep all these funds together because we do know that they in all of the athletic departments across the country for these high powered division one schools and really for all division one schools, football generates the 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 funds that these other teams need to be able to stay a team. Like you don't want those Title IX violations, where all of a sudden sports are having to go away because there aren't the there are not the resources to keep them afloat and to keep them successful. If the, if the well, with all the couldn't... travel, too. I mean, thinking about right. when, he, when he said Arizona should play UCLA in in basketball and in women in in, in softball, and now you're going to have a UCLA team that's having to go across the country on a Wednesday in the middle of the season. Like those, That's going to cost a lot more money than I think these athletic departments know. So if you can find a way to take that NFL approach, sort of is what he was getting at there, where you sell sponsorships, you create a pathway for the revenue sharing for players and paying them, then... And that's also got to extend to your own athletic departments, regardless of the fact that football would be in a silo and all the other sports would be under the athletic department umbrella.
0: So a pay for play system, which this would be that off of a revenue sharing system. Like it sounds great in theory. Cause you're like, all right, let's give the players a cut of the revenue that they are generating. But again, there's, there's other issues there. Then are the other players being paid in these other sports? And are they only getting a cut based on their revenue? And how do you do that? And then again, there's major title nine implications there because certainly none of the women's sports would generate nearly the same revenue split. And so that becomes difficult with that, but, And aside from all of that, it wouldn't actually replace NIL because NIL is a whole separate thing with being able to benefit off your name, image, and likeness. So even if you had a pay-for-play model from these universities, the only thing that I could see it in the future – absolving would be the booster collectives which I think that is what needs to happen because these universities Courtney right now they're essentially now at this point being run by the boosters now more than ever before and yes the boosters have always been powerful within mm-hmm. these schools now they are unbelievably powerful because they're the ones that are taking their own millions of dollars their personal money and just pooling it into funds to go ahead and pay these players out of their own pockets because the schools aren't the ones paying the players those booster collectives aren't the original idea of name, image, and likeness. You could maybe get rid of those. You couldn't, I don't think, get rid of the player who, you know, inks a deal with the local car wash. Sure, That, there would be no reason to get rid of.
1: And, and I know it's kind of a half-baked idea that he had when he was saying about the revenue sharing, like that money can be shared and then you can do away, like from the, their universal TV deals, what they, what he's hoping for, and that you can get rid of nil. I don't think you can get rid of it fully, but I do think that the revenue sharing here would then maybe not create as big of a need for players going out and getting these massive NIL deals and these booster collectives, which have been out of control, frankly, at some schools. And then allowing for that to not seem like the Wild West, because we know it has not very well been, it's not been regulated very well since it came into existence in 2021. Maybe that's a way of solving that issue while also benefiting the overall product of college football.
0: Yeah, NIL can't go away because of the Supreme Court as well, right? I mean, the courts have spoken. NIL ain't going anywhere because of antitrust law violations. ESPN Radio continues on next.